article in front of the word light in the Greek. And when there's no article in front of the word, that means what it's talking about. It's, it's its very essence. It's its very nature. It's its core. So we can say God is good. He's good. But at his core, he's light. We can describe him in a lot of different ways. But at his core, one of the cores is he's light. The other is he's love. And then in the book of John, we get that he is life. Those are the three times where John uses a word like that with no article to emphasize this is God's nature. So at his core, God is good. God is right. God is true. God is justice because he's light. And that begs the question, what are we at our core? Well, at our core, we might think about good and right and just. But typically at our core, what we're about is what makes me comfortable. What makes me comfortable? I want comfort. What makes me happy? What gives me an advantage in this situation? What will help me? And God's light exposes us and exposes our motives. He exposes the motive of comfort in our life. And this can be very difficult. When you think about this, this can almost be traumatizing. The light exposes everything. Nothing is hidden. The light exposes everything. So we get to point number two on your sheet. The light and how it works in our life. Verses six through ten. And the first thing under that A is light reveals truth. Verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we claim. Now see, the first thing it starts with, John is saying, we open our mouths and we're saying something. If we claim. It starts with opening our mouth. Fellowship with God is validated by walk, not just talk. I have a, I have a couple of, uh, there's a couple of guys I love to listen to, an African-American gentleman, um, and, and he was talking about this, and he, and he stopped, and he looked at us over his congregation, and he said, some of you are long on lip and short on walk. And that's what he's saying there. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if we claim, and he says, we to have fellowship. And that's that word. We talked about this. I'm going over a lot. We talked about it last week. Koinonia, that word of having something in common. An intimacy that is based on a shared situation. And if we have fellowship with him, yet walk. And walk here is a word that means a pattern of life. It's not a single event. It's a, it's a direction that my life is heading. It's the way I go. It's the way I live. That's why a lot of times it'll be translated that. And here John is addressing an issue in the early church. It's called antinomianism. I know you guys know that, but I just want to know I know it. And, and basically, I'm not going to go into all the details of it. It basically would say this. You can walk in darkness and it will not affect your relationship with God. That was what the belief, if you summed it up, would say. You can walk in darkness, but it doesn't affect your relationship with God. And John is combating that because it's a lie. Because light and darkness can't coexist in the same place. When my kids were little, sometimes I would go into their rooms. The girls would run, boys in another room, and I'd go in, and I'd, I'd, they'd be asleep, and I would just pray. I'd just say, God, I love my kids. Thank you for these kids. Watch over, you know, I just, I just would pray for my kids. And so one time I went up, and, and, and I, I went up to the girls' room, and I got there, and, and, uh, and, and my daughter, Reagan, her bed was kind of over by the window, and the room was very dark. But this is like one of those hallmark moments. The room was very dark, but a little bit of light was coming out at the bottom of the window, just enough to shine on her in her bed. 
right? So every parent right now is going, oh. So there I am at the door. And that beautiful little girl is laying in that bed over there. So I start walking over to her. And all of a sudden, ah, ah, oh, crap. And I'm trying not to say any words that would offend Reagan or God. And, and um, I had stepped on a doll. Let me show you a picture. It's like a zombie Barbie. The demon Barbie of Fleet Street is what I called it. Right? All right, Eric, we need to take that down. <laughs> I was totally surprised by it. You know, it's pitch dark. There's a sliver of light, but it's right over there. And I'm totally surprised. So it's that element of surprise. Plus it's the element of feeling like little daggers are piercing your feet. And, and I'm like, oh, and I'm trying to be quiet because I don't want to wake her up. And so I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And then it hits me. I tasked her with the job of cleaning her room that night. That night she was supposed to clean her room. So now I'm like, oh, 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 she didn't clean her room. Ow. Now I'm upset. Now I'm upset because I also realized there may be lots more little landmine Barbies all over this room. And I'm part way in. And I'm upset because she disobeyed me. So now my foot hurts like crazy and I'm mad at my disobedient daughter. And she kind of stirs sleepily and she goes, Daddy, is that you? And now I'm faced with a choice. And so I went, no, little girl. <laughs> like that. Because I wanted her to scream like I wanted to scream. And she did. <laughs> well, Mr. Quasimodo came to visit Reagan. Um, and I, here you go. You ask, she's not here. To, you, she's just, she's just, you ask her. Whenever your dad goes, oh, little girl, does that freak you out? She's like, yes, it still does. It still does. It's trauma. I, I understand. So, so what's my problem there? And, and apart from my bad parenting skills, here's, here's the problem. I needed light because light reveals and darkness hides. Light exposes, darkness covers. That's the nature of light. That's the nature of God. We have to understand that. How do you know if you're walking in darkness? You know because you want to hide from God's light. God's revealing light in your life. You don't want it. When a sermon sometimes makes you uncomfortable, let me tell you something. Just, I've been uncomfortable with some of these sermons for weeks, so I really want to share it with you. Let's spread the uncomfortableness around. And when a, when a sermon sometimes makes you uncomfortable, what's going on there? Light is penetrating. Light is getting through. It's, it's pushing back the darkness and it's revealing and you start to feel a little uncomfortable. Now, now you have that, now you have that, you have to make a decision. Because you can start to justify your sins. You can start, and this is what John's talking about, you can start lying and walking away from the truth. Or you can start to deal with what's being revealed because the Holy Spirit is working on you in those things. John 16 talks all about this. He's going to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to point us to Jesus 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's going to reveal things. And so light reveals. What you do with it determines whether you're walking in the light or the darkness. Because to walk in darkness is to refuse to acknowledge what God has revealed. And so, in verse 6, we have this reference, the first reference to lying in truth. Here he says, he says we're living a lie. We're not, we're not living the truth. Then in verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So now here, this focus is the opposite of the focus in verse 6. Now we're walking in the light. Now what is that? It's not perfection. I think sometimes we can get the wrong idea here. No one can do that. The light is perfect. We're not perfect. If we were perfect, we would be the light. When you go in a dark room and you turn on the light, you don't become the light bulb. You become the recipient of what the light does to show. You see now better. You see reality. You begin to see everything because the light is there. Reality is exposed as opposed to what you thought was true. When I went into my daughter's room, I thought I could walk over to her bed unimpeded by small knives and piercing fingers and things like that. I thought it would be just right across to her. That's what I believed was true. But it was false. And ultimately, light revealed that. Because ultimately, I turned on the light and said, what is this? So the reality of this world is exposed as we walk in the light. Fellowship with God is to be near the light. So, and this is important for us, being in the light is not walking without any sin. That's not what being in the light is. It is allowing the light to reveal and expose. If you think you're walking in the light and over a period of time, no sin is exposed, you have a problem because light exposes, light reveals. Walking in the light is being open to that exposure, allowing God to expose in you the good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, I said that last week, and I wanted to just go, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I read this, I was reading in, in this commentary, and this commentary is from the 50s. It's a Greek scholar from the 1950s, and he said, the light reveals good, bad, and ugly. And I'm in my office, and, and I don't know if Jose was next door or if anyone, but if you had been there, you would have heard, because I can't help it. If someone says good, bad, and the ugly, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've missed the greatest Western ever made. Okay. So it reveals, it reveals things about me to my core. When I'm not hiding, when I'm not running from it, I'm in fellowship with him. God shows me, then I respond to it. Not just keep going like he didn't show me. I have to respond to it. That's what walking in the light does. So walking in the light does not mean I'm not sinning. Walking in the light reveals sin. If you walk in the dark, nothing is exposed. And so, like I said, if nothing is being exposed, you might not be in the light. Expo exposure points to the blood of Christ. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth 
is not within us. Now, this is a very key verse in terms of doctrine. And the grammar that John uses here is very forceful. So we have to remember something. God is light. Remember that? No article in front of light. So it shows that this, this is the essence, the core of God. Now, if we claim to be without sin, no article in front of it. So if we claim at our core, we have no sin. We have no sin. This points to the, what it points to is the fact that in our nature, in our essence, in our core, we're sinners. This is very key. We have to understand this. There's no article in front of it, so it points to nature. It points to, to essence. It's a scriptural idea. This throughout scripture that we are sinners. This is not a popular idea. It's not a popular concept right now, but it's a biblical one. Because it points to the fact this is why we need the light. This is why we need God. This is why we are sinful. This is why we do sinful things, because we are sinful. And to deny this, he says, is self-deception and a rejection of the light. And so the point here is to have, to have the joy. He's talking about joy. He's been talking about from the very beginning. He's saying, God has this joy for, for you. It is wrapped up in understanding that he is light. To have this joy that God has for you, you must understand that you are a sinner. Now that seems counterintuitive. But see, this is the difference between a person, I would call it a, a, a moralist, and a Christian. A moralist is a person who's counting on his performance in living out his life. He's working hard. She's working hard to be good. Being better than most people. Or at least oftentimes be better than those people. Whoever those people are. All of us have someone who's those people. People we don't want to be like. I'm not like them. At least I'm better than them. I hear that times with people we talk about sin. They go, well, I'm not a murderer. At least I'm better than... And they, they pick a name of somebody who's really bad. And that's what a moralist is thinking. A moralist can go to church. A moralist can give to charities. A moralist can follow the Ten Commandments. But here's... They get their love from what they do. They think God's love is based on what they do. And for a Christian, my trust is in God's performance. The only reason God accepts me is because of what Christ did. The Christian and the moralist can both be decent people. They can look similar on the outside. They can do similar things. They can both go to church. They can both pray. They can both give. They can both work for others. They can both walk 5Ks for charity. They can do all kinds of things. But the difference is, how do they handle failures? How do they handle sin? Because for a moralist, when the light begins to reveal sin, the Holy Spirit starts convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. And they see their sin. And sometimes they see the depths of their sin. They can be very devastating, can be very discouraging. There is no joy in it. It often leads to doubts. Does God really love me? Does God really accept me? How can he? Look at how I am. And they run from the presence of God because it's painful to be there. A Christian, light reveals sin. And seeing their sin and then confessing it brings fellowship with God and greater joy. He's saying this is what happens as a Christian. God reveals sin to us. He wants us to confess it. Then move on. It's forgiven. It's taken care of. And move on. And it leads to greater joy. Now, seeing the depths of our sin can be shattering and jolting. But it also brings a realization he already knew the depths of my sin and he went to the cross for me. And so a Christian doesn't run, a Christian runs to him. A Christian cries out to him because the more you realize the size of your debt 
to God, the more you grasp the size of the payment that was paid for your debt. The more you begin to see how bad you are, you begin to see what he did for you, how incredible that was, how incredible that love is that led him to do that. So it's not if you sin, it's what is your response to sin. Let's look at, look at verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. Now here we have another verse that deals with sin. He's hitting on this and he's just coming at it from different angles every time. Here I believe John is, what John's talking about is people who say, oh I did that, but that's not really sin. They, be, they deny that that is sin. Maybe the light shows and they go, no, 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 no. That's not sin. My friend Noel West once told me that to pass a Krispy Kreme with the hot and now light on is a sin. <laughs> I believe him. I believe him. In fact, one time when I was really being careful about what I eat, um, I was running a, a number of errands and so I was heading down Jefferson Avenue and I knew, oh, temptation is coming. Krispy Kreme is coming. It's coming for me. So I told God, I told God, look, if the hot now light is on, that means it's okay with you for me to have a couple of donuts. <laughs> These would be like Holy Spirit donuts, they won't make me fat. Because you said okay by turning that light on. And lo and behold, after about half an hour and eight times around the block, <laughs> that light came on. God gave me donuts. <laughs> one, of my, one of my kids that was living with us at the time saw the little the bag in the back of the car and said, wait, Krispy Kreme, you're supposed... They were from God. <laughs> they don't count. I convinced myself that it was not wrong and shifted the blame to him. Now that's just a silly little thing, but we do that. John is making clear here that there are people who are saying, oh, no, that's not sin. That's not really sin. I deny it. I deny it. And when we do that, we're calling God a liar. We don't feel like we're doing that, but in reality, what we're saying is, that's not sin. You're a liar. And when we think of it that way, see, John's trying to grab us and shake. See, he said, think about what you're doing. Think of what you're doing, the, the immenseness of what you're saying. We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. We are not allowing the word to penetrate us. We're not allowing the word to get down into us. We talked last week about that. We put up five questions, um, and, if, and if, you, if you want them, we can... We can email them to you. It's no problem. The five questions to go through as you're reading scripture, five questions that just prompt you to think through what you're reading. Point B. All right. So we talked about A here, light reveals the truth. Now point B is light points to the cross. Look at verses seven and nine. Uh, they should, they're on your paper. Uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So he's saying if we walk in the light, the light shines, it sees sin, the blood works, cleansing happens. 
as we're walking in the light, when we see things, we confess it. That's what we're supposed to do. We confess it to God. And, the, and that energize, the blood works and, and forgiveness and purification happens. So when we talked earlier about this whole idea that actually when you think about this idea that God is light and light sees, it just penetrates everything. And so he knows our innermost secrets. He knows our secret sins. He knows the things that no one else knows. That can be a little traumatizing. That can be a little scary. But he's saying, no, it's not scary because cleansing happens when that happens. We just have to acknowledge it. Light leads us to the cross, to the blood of Christ. It shows us our need. How does it do that? The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That's why we read and study. That's why we encourage you, read this on your own. Take those five questions. Read passages. They work on all passages. And how does the Holy Spirit do it? John 16, Jesus talked about this. He told them when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he says, and the Holy Spirit is going to point you to me. He's going to glorify me. He's going to bring my words into your life. And so he uses the Holy Spirit. He uses the word. In verse 7, he says, as we fellowship with God. Now, I love this because this is one of those things. As we fellowship, it says, one with another. Yes, we have fellowship one with another. Now, he's talking about between us and God. And, and this, is a, this is one of those grammar things. It's called a reciprocal pronoun. But this is a really cool thing when you think about it. A reciprocal pronoun means it goes both ways. See, we tend to have this idea that God is up in heaven and he has, he sent Jesus and Jesus died and all this happened and the pain and the suffering and rose from the grave and the Holy Spirit's working. And, and, it's, and it's like a one-way thing. It's like I keep going, oh, God, thank you for what you've done. God, expose the light, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And here he's saying, no, it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. Both sides are in fellowship with each other. That's an interesting thought. You know, sometimes that joy you get when you realize you belong to him when you realize that he loves you unconditionally, that joy you get sometimes in worship, that joy you get sometimes in the, you, you, if you read the word, sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you get this joy. Sometimes you get this thrill of answered prayer, of seeing God work in your life, and it's so exciting. Do you realize he gets the same thing from you? You start to take halting steps in the right direction, and God's going, oh, my heart's going to explode over Bob. Man, I love him. You pray. And maybe God responds. You've said, I got to respond because I love you so much. And sometimes he says, look, I'm sorry. That's not a good idea. What you want is not a good idea because I love you. I've got to say no here. I've got to say no because I love you. And it's reciprocal. He gets a thrill out of you. In the Old Testament, it talks about him rejoicing with great joy over us. And he uses two different words. One word, my best description of that is way back in a distant memory when the Redskins won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, yes. 
and I'm running around the house. I was like two, I think. I was running around, I'm running around the house, and I'm so excited. This is a great, ah! I'm just so excited, right? I'm so excited. He rejoices over you with great joy. The second joy is this idea that God gets incredibly excited about you. Now, that's hard for me to imagine. That's hard for me to imagine. It's hard for me to think, you know, when my kids were little, sometimes um, they get so excited about something, they get like happy feet, their body, they start losing control of their body, and they start flailing and dancing around because they're just so excited. Okay, as reverently as possible, I want to tell you, that's how God gets about you sometimes. Because it's reciprocal. He gets so excited about you. He gets so thrilled with you. It's a reciprocal relationship. It is not a one-way relationship. And so we have this fellowship. We're hanging out in the light. Things get exposed. The blood comes into, into play because of the cross. It's, it purifies. In verse 7, it's the, idea of, uh, it's the idea of constantly purifying, a flow that never stops because we need it our whole lives. But that's an interesting thought when you think about it. A constant purifying that is going on. Why? Because God knows we will struggle with sin until the day we die. He's already planned for it. It's not like he purifies us from one sin and then later we sin again. He's like, oh, man, I thought we were done with that. No, he knows. He knows you. So it's a constant cleansing. But in verse 9... It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify. Now it's, now it's a singular purification. It's one sin at a time. He's taking care of. And what that tells us is that he is consciously dealing with each individual sin through Jesus Christ on the cross, which is a scary thing when you think about it because it means Jesus was conscious of each individual sin while he was on the cross. I don't know how he did that. Well, he's God, so he has more abilities than us. But on the cross, it's, the implication is here is that each individual sin he's consciously dying for. Each one is forgiven. That's an incredible thing when you begin to understand the depth of your sin, you begin to understand the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for you out of his love for you. And this refers to, this goes all the way back, you know, to this whole idea we talked about this. There is a legal aspect of our relationship with God. When a person becomes a Christian, a judicial pronouncement is made by God. This person is now adopted and has become my child. But the relational aspect is still being worked on. And it can be up and down. And sometimes we're close to him and sometimes we're not so close to him. But that legal aspect and relational aspect, remember I talked about that, it was like a marriage, a couple. <clears throat> sometimes They're legally together, but at times there's deep closeness, and at times it's, there's a struggle. It can happen. It's like this. The other day, my wife was doing something, cleaning something in the church, and uh, I came out of my office, and I was walking down, and I said, oh, hey, and we talked for a second, and, uh, and, so, and so I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to get back to work, you know, and so I reached, leaned over to give her a kiss, you know, just a, a smooch, whatever. And you know how sometimes you're, uh, you're planning on giving a peck or a smooch and then off you go? And um, 
you think sometimes what's supposed to be just a quick smooch, suddenly it gets real. And uh, there's some emotion and some depth. And, uh, well, since the invention of the kiss, there have only been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. <laughs> this one left them all behind. Yeah, I know, that's, that's Princess Bride. I know, I don't know. But, but, but let me say this. I was feeling it, okay? This was supposed to be a smooch and off to my office, and suddenly it's like, wow, I love this woman. This is, this is awesome, right? Now, did our marriage change legally before and after that kiss? No. No, it didn't. Did the enjoyment, the closeness of our marriage change after that kiss? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm walking away like, I will see you later. That's what I mean. No. Oh, gosh. Okay, I am going to pay for that one. I am going to pay for that one. If looks could kill, I'd be like, righto, that'd be it. Okay, so our legal relationship with Jesus Christ is set. Okay, but the enjoyment, the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus Christ is something that can grow. And unconfessed sin can affect the enjoyment and the closeness of the relationship. And so in verse, in, in, in these verses, what he's saying, like in verse 9, he's saying we're, we're, uh, we're confessing a very particular sin. And so there's a very particular purification, forgiveness that comes to it. Individual. Individual. The key word uh, the, the, the thought for forgive here, is, is that word simply means something that has been paid for. And this is what I love because it's something that has been paid for and then put away. I love that. I love that. Because scripture tells us our sins, he will re remember no more. When our sins are forgiven, they will not, he will remember them no more. They will never be brought up again. Isn't that awesome? They will never be brought up again. They're paid for and then put away. And the word confess simply means to say the same thing, to be in complete agreement. So confession is us agreeing with God about something. God, you're right, this is sin. And this is in opposition to verse 10, where the person is saying, God, you're wrong. And so when we're walking in the light, this is what happens. Light exposes sin. And it's like God saying, hey, Bob, do you see what I see? And I say, yeah, God, I see it. That doesn't look right to me. No, it's not God. It's wrong. It's sin. I'm sorry. And God says, well, we're in agreement. So it's taken care of and it has been put away. And he leans over and he says to me, I will never bring this up again. This will never be put in your face. When you come to me again sometime, I won't go. This is like the eighth time. I will never say that to you. Now, I go to God and I say, God, I'm so sorry, this is the eighth time. But God goes, well, it's the first time for me. I have no recollection of those other sins because they are put away. They're put away. What an incredible man. When he says in Christ, you are set free, this is what we're talking about. This is freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from pressure. Freedom from humiliation. I loved my dad. But I can remember as a little kid telling him I was sorry about something. And he looked at me and said, Bob, this is the sixth time. When are you going to get it? 
And as a little kid, I suddenly realized he's keeping score. That was devastating. It was devastating. He keeps score. I didn't know my dad kept score. God says, I do not keep score. I don't take notes. I don't write a list. We tend to think of confession as some sort of groveling and humiliation. But God says, no, it's simply agree with me. Agree with me. That's how a relationship works. So the light reveals and it points to the cross. The love of Christ then is in action and working in our light. The light exposes the sin and love provides the remedy that is needed. The cross, the blood of Christ. And so we see that verse in Romans. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Later in this book, we're going to see, John is going to say, again, no article. He's going to say, God is love. Core, essence of God is love. And he is light. And those two things are both needed. You can't have one without the other. If God is only light, we get beat down. We need love. And so the word shows two opposites simultaneously. It is brutally honest and pessimistic about mankind. We are hopeless and helpless sinners, and it is unbelievably optimistic. We are loved, we are his treasure, we are valuable, and we are here for a purpose. Two opposite things that balance. And so the first chapter, it all starts with God in the beginning. John says a life is manifested and is still manifesting itself. It is continuing. And John says, we, the apostles, we are proclaiming it and we are still proclaiming it. It is an eternal life. It is a here and now and yet stretching into eternity. It is a life that is fellowship with God. It is possible to be in fellowship with God and it brings joy into your life. It is a life that comes from realizing God is light at his core, at his essence. It exposes and shows our need of forgiveness. We are to agree with God on what the light exposes. We are just to be honest with God. Rejecting light brings darkness and dishonesty and deception and means I'm calling God a liar. Forgiveness and cleansing comes through the blood and the cross because of the love of Christ. That's the whole first chapter in a nutshell. This is what God is telling us. This is what he's teaching us. He is saying, I am desperate for you and I to be in relationship. I am desperate for you and I to be one. This is my goal. Legally, you are adopted and you can't do anything to change that. You are his son, you are his daughter. But he says, but relationally, I want to be intimate with you. I want this to be a close, personal relationship that is mutual. It's not a one-way street. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth of your word in 10 short verses. John brings up a wealth of information that points directly to you. God, help us to begin to assimilate it. Lord, help us to be reading and understanding your word and applying it to our lives. And Father, as we do that, you change us from the inside out. The only change that matters, you change us from the inside out. And as we walk in this world, we walk in light, we become just a bit more like your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. We're going to take an offering now, and uh, I want to say, if you are a guest here, if you're visiting us, please don't feel pressured. Don't feel compelled to give. This is what our regular attenders and our members do as a part of their worship. Thank you.